TV, comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is an Emmy-winning writer, comedian, producer, and actor who got his first TV job at the tender age of 24 and never looked back. He was one of the original writers on the groundbreaking and controversial Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour and went on to write and produce dozens of variety shows in the 1960s and 70s, including the Sunny and Cher Comedy Hour, the Sunny Comedy Review, Red Fox, Van Dyke and Company, Joey and Dad, the Hudson Brothers, Razzle Dad, the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, Pat Polson's Comedy Hour, and a personal favorite of this podcast, the Ken Berry Wow Show. In 1980, he co-created and produced the successful sketch comedy show Bazaar, starring another former guest, John Biner, which ran for six seasons and helped popularize the most beloved recurring characters in television history, Daredevil Super Dave Osborne. As an actor, you've seen him in movies like Modern Romance, Teddy Bear's Picnic, and Ocean's at 13, and in dozens of TV shows including Roseanne, Norm, Arrested Development, Anger Management, Comedy Bang Bang, and of course, Larry Davis' frequent antagonist, Marty Funkhauser, on HBO's long-running series, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Please welcome a man responsible for some of the best comedy of the last 50 years and one of the funniest human beings on the planet, Officer Judy himself, Bob Einstein. What an introduction! I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, that was phenomenal! <laughs> I mean that. That was just the guy that gave me shit chills. And you know, I know you're... Is that your sidekick or your producer? No, who is that sitting next to you? I'm both, Bob. I'm both of those things. Because you had nothing to do with that. Because when I first it's all, met it all him, comes out of Gilbert. Yeah, he said, when I first met him, he said, Oh, yes, I remember you did uh, the Honeymooners. And you did the... Didn't you do wrestling and and, 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 and some other show? The bisexuals meet the transgenders. He didn't know shit. He didn't know shit. And he was reading off a piece of paper. It's all Gilbert, Bob. That's no. Well, Gilbert was brilliant, but you do no work. You do no work at all. You come in, you took your coat off, and read some fucking thing that you I guessed you had a year ago. <laughs> 
let's see if I can redeem question. myself through the hour, Bob. All right, I hope you can. But here's a quick question, yes. then I'll shut up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, Gilbert, your wife must say to you, I, I, would you give me your co-host name again? I, Frank. I forgot. Yes. It's like seven different names. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> What is it? <laughs> Sam, Louie, Bill, Carly, and Diamond. I love that I'm getting roasted by Bob what Einstein. Is it? What yeah, is his so- name? What should I call him? Frank. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Frank. Um, I won't talk to you again, so it doesn't That's matter. That's fine. <laughs> no, listen, I'm used to it. My, 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 Gilbert, your wife says to you sometimes, hey, Gilbert, honey, don't talk with your mouth so full because you're getting a little bit on your jacket, okay? <laughs> No, 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 like we all do. We all have shit we do we don't know. And there's something on my lip and all that shit. What do you think and how many times has Anthony Weiner's wife told him, sweetheart, don't take a picture of your cock and send it to this woman anymore because I'm representing Hillary Clinton, okay? So send it to me. And above all, when we're in the middle of this fucking campaign, don't send a picture of your cock with our baby next to you, okay, sweetheart? <laughs> oh, God. What the fuck is that? What kind of a sickness is that? And do, you know, do you know he sent one one time and he cut his head off so you wouldn't know who it was as if we wouldn't know who it was. Right. But right. right behind him is a picture of he and some congressman. Right next to his cock. <laughs> oh, God. You know, he ran after all this shit happened. He ran for mayor of New York oh, and yeah. was leading. He was leading and sent a cock photo up mm-hmm. in the middle of the election. Did you see the documentary about him, Bob? It was fascinating. Yeah, but it was, but it was, no, it wasn't. It was boring compared to what he really does. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I mean, he's the sickest. He's just, yeah. it's. Also, here's another thing. I heard today Hillary Clinton had to give in her physical the results of her mammogram. I've never heard that in a candidate. And why doesn't Trump give his? His tits are twice the size. Oh, wow. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, to shoot at this we, man. We were saying to you all, off camera, off off mic, that you've you've produced special series. Series. <laughs> you did it series. again. You did it too. We did it yeah. again. <laughs> For four of our previous guests. Uh Ken- Look, I've had I've had the pleasure, except really working a lot with you. <laughs> no, no, I'm not making a joke. I think you're fantastic. But I've had the pleasure of working with the, the most brilliant people in the history of the industry. Uh, and that doesn't include Beaver. But um, I, I worked with Dick Van Dyke. Mm. I worked with Red Fox, which was, I produced his show. And it was a most fun I'm going to give you two quick stories yeah. that you just you won't believe that this happens at work. <laughs> all Red did all day is Coke, mm, uh, mm, um, mm. Coke, uh, uh, grass, and fuck. That's all he did all day. But when it came time to tape, it was brilliant. He knew everything. So our first show, we had a, a set that was a giant tenement. And it turned uh, into R-E-D-D, and he came out of the E, 
10 minutes and the music played, ladies and gentlemen, Red Fox. And there's no red. <laughs> so the audience is applauding and screaming, and I stop tape. I go to his dressing room. I knock on the door. I hear, what? I open the door. The girl doing his hair is sitting on him. So I see her body, her dress, and his legs. <laughs> and I said, red. And from under the dress, he said, what? <laughs> I said, we're on camera. He said, can't a man relax? <laughs> Then another time I said to him, hey, we only did 20 minutes for the audience. Could you give him a couple of jokes? He said, yeah. And when he said yeah to me, I was gone because I was going to get punished for asking that. He comes out. He grabs the mic. He said, how you doing? And then the audience goes crazy. He said, how many of you people wash your assholes this evening? I said, give me your mic. No, no, no. Let me, let me tell a couple of jokes. He said, you know, they got all kind of flavored douches on the market. Strawberry. <laughs> The cinnamon raspberry. I told my wife about it. She came back with tuna. <laughs> How's that, Bob? I said, that's great. Thanks, Red. Thanks a million. <laughs> when you first met with him, Bob, isn't there a story about him disappearing behind a, a bookshelf? Yes, how do you know that? Well? Yes, Fred Silverman asked us. We came over from CBS and we got a, 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 a great deal at ABC when Fred Silverman went over there to be the programmer. And he asked us to meet with Red because he was going to take him away from Sanford. So we're waiting in his office. Here comes Red up the stairs, and he's tired. And he knows me, uh, but he doesn't know my partner, Alan Bly, so he calls us one name, Blindstein. <laughs> and, and he said, I'll be back in a minute. And he goes into a Charlie Chan revolving bookcase. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. It disappeared. <laughs> it turned around and now it was a bar. <laughs> and he's there for a few minutes. He comes out. How you doing? How you doing? And he's got white shit all over his lip. <laughs> and I said, Red, you got white shit on your lip. He said, I know it always happens when I have sugar donuts for breakfast. <laughs> he said, now listen, what I want to do is a variety show from Harlem. <laughs> I said, that is a great idea. I just sold my house in Harlem, so I don't think I'll be able to buy another one, so I can't do it, so I'll see you later. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We got hours. We got hours of stories. I'll tell you my... I'm not going to go on. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) Okay. uh, Well, I've got... uh, my first Super Dave show, we had done six years of Bizarre. And they gave us a Super Dave show after that. And my, I, I said to my partner, we've got to make some kind of an, a splash. We've got, to, we've got to blow people's minds. So I said, I am go- we did the show in Canada because my partner was Canadian and it was easier to do the show up there, cheaper. So I said, I'm going to call Ray Charles. Because we had worked on a couple of our shows. Now, Ray Charles, to me, was the greatest period that ever lived in anything. I was so in love with what he did. So I call up, and his manager answers, and I said, Hi, this is Bob Einstein. I, I play a character. He said, I know who you are. I said, well, I'm going to ask you something. I know the answer is no, but we're doing a first show. Would Ray Charles come up to Canada? I said, I already feel stupid saying that, but would he come up to Canada 
and, and do what did I say in our first show? He said, I'll get back to you. Hung up. So I figured, sure, I'll hear from him maybe in 1991. One. He calls back the next day. He said, he'll, he'll do it on one condition. I said, what? That you put him in a stunt. <laughs> and I'm going, no, he, I, I'm not hearing this. No, this is a dream. I can't be hearing this. So he did a stunt every year on my first show. He was in my movie. It was, you know, you live a life in those days. You work with people that are beyond belief, talented, and and just it was it, it was so much fun to work in that era of television. First of all, there were only three networks. There weren't six. No one was talking on podcasts. Right. If sure. you talk on podcasts, no one was listening because it wasn't such a thing. Three networks. That's all you had, and you either made it or you didn't. So. It was a, it was a, it was fabulous. And variety shows in those days were so great. Just, just really great. And as we said in the intro, Bob, you were a kid. You were 24. You yeah, were, yeah, you were yeah, working yeah. in advertising and. Uh, I'll tell you, you want to know how this happened or I'm boring yeah, the shit no, out no, of No, no, it's yeah. good stuff. Is Watch anybody it. listening to this? Be yeah. honest with you. No, tell me the truth. Because you, I just us saw, and you and no, Lee. I just saw, I just saw Gilbert pick up a magazine. <laughs> what the Fuck, why, why, who, if I'm boring you two, why are we on? This show's very popular, Bob. What is a podcast? What is it? It's the cheapest fucking thing. I asked for a Coke. I got half a bottle here. The other half was already finished. And this setup is like, I'm telling you, I told him when I came out, I felt like I'm sitting at the airport taking a shit and someone came in with a mic. Uh, all right, where was I? Where the fuck was I? You're talking about you were I? working at an ad agency and yes. uh, Bob Arbogast. Yes. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Want to hear a great thing? Yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm, on, uh, I'm sure this has happened to you, Gilbert. <laughs> it's the only time in my life it ever happened to me. I'm not bragging. I'm just, yeah. I was under control. I, I'm doing Letterman, and I come out, and I, I, I've got a book that says uh, three great stories to read your kids before they go to bed. And the first one was, um, oh, shit, let me see. The first one was, oh, uh, a priest, uh, you know these, I'm sure, Gilbert, yeah. but uh, a priest goes to a barber, gets a haircut, wants to pay. Barber says, I don't charge men of the cloth. So they both go home. Next day, Barbara comes to work. There's 12 boxes of the finest chocolate in the world. A minister comes, gets a haircut, says, I don't accept money, men of the cloth. They both go home. Next day, 12 bottles of the finest wine. A rabbi comes, gets a haircut. He says, I want to, I don't pay. Next day, the barber comes to work. There are 12 rabbis waiting. <laughs> so I get a good laugh on that. Then I, then I'm, then I go tell, okay, a 10-year-old walking down the hallway of his house. He's screaming in his parents' bedroom. He opens the door. His father's wearing an Oprah wig and bunny shoes. His mother's dressed in a Girl Scout uniform, and they're going at it. He says, Daddy, what's going on? He says, oh, don't worry, sweetheart. We're just having some fun. I'll tuck you in in 20 minutes. Go to bed. 20 minutes later, the father's trudging down the hall. He's screaming in the kid's bedroom. He opens the door. His kid's having sex with his grandmother. He says, Billy, what the hell are you doing? He said, it's not so funny when it's your mother, is it? <laughs> so I got to scream. 
Now I got a third joke, and I forgot that I didn't want to tell this joke because it had it had Oprah in it, and it could it could be construed as something that it wasn't. Okay. So 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 what I had planned was is to substitute Delta Burke for Oprah. <laughs> And so the, the joke is, Oprah goes to the psychiatrist. He says, Oprah Winfrey, what the hell are you doing here? She said, I'm insecure about my weight. I need help. He said, listen to me. You make $90 billion a year. You're the most revered woman of the last 30 years. Go home and thank God for what you got. She said, listen, I gave you a deposit. I need help. He said, all right, I'll do what I can, but I don't see the problem. Take off your dress. Now take off your underwear. <laughs> Now get down on all fours and crawl over to that wall. Okay, crawl forward 10 feet slowly, head and ass up. Back up five feet, please. Go forward six inches. He said, doctor, how's this help me with the insecurity about my weight? He said, fuck that. I bought a black dog-eyed couch yesterday. I want to see where it looks best in the office. <laughs> so... <laughs> So in substituting Delta Burke, <laughs> I, I, did, I did Delta Burke, but when I got to the punchline, I said Black Naga High Coach. Oh, gosh. Because I forgot, and it was silence. <laughs> Letterman looked at me like I was out of a mental institution. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast after this. All right, where was I? I'm sorry, I got off the track <laughs> I, there. I did not. I, I think I've told two of those jokes on this podcast. You have on the podcast? Yeah. All right, we'll cut them out. Bel hey, Fred, Belzer cut tells out. the Oprah joke about Al Broker. Yeah. yeah. I, I've told the Oprah joke on here. Yeah. yeah. All right, <laughs> he all right, told right, it to Weird Al. Cut it out. Cut it out then. <laughs> no, so it's work, good. Frank. It's just as good. It's great. You get, it, it's like hearing a classic song by different singers. It really singers. is. It really is. <laughs> Speaking of Zoftig women, was there, okay. was there a Kate Smith story, Bob? How do you know that? <laughs> for, for people out there who How don't the know Kate fuck Smith. How do you know that? <laughs> How the fuck would you know that? <laughs> okay, now remember, I'm just a, I'm a shit kid, but I'm working hard. And we have we have a, a writers meeting, a script reading of the of the script, and as a mid break, I have Kate Smith dressed up as uh, Oliver Hardy, <laughs> and and Tommy Smothers as Stan Laurel, and I have Kate saying, "Well, here's another nice mess you got me into," and the room roared. Okay, we get through the script read. She says. Who wrote the uh, another nice mess joke? And I, I stood up. <laughs> I said I did. She said, "Well, you're the reason I'm not doing the show." And she walked. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, we had a fucking circler with helicopters to get her back in the building. <laughs> we love that one. Yeah, but I'll tell you the Bob Arbogast. The, the, the Arbogast thing—it's a—it's a—it's a unbelievable story. Bob was a. Uh, a very hot radio man in Los Angeles. And I loved him, and I used him for a lot of voices and commercials. And he had a local television show with his partner, uh, Arbogast Margolis. So I said, I want to come on as the guy who puts the stars' names in the sidewalk of Hollywood. And uh, 
you'll you'll give me shit and uh, and, and then ask me how I said well what we do is we study their background we look into their childhood we make sure they've never died I go on this how they and and the guy in the audience said I heard it's just about money and I lay the guy away and I said (laughs) I never should have done this show he said well how would I get my name in I said do you have twenty (laughs) dollars okay good laugh and I go home Next day, my secretary says, um, Tommy, uh, there's a Tommy Smothers on the phone for you. I said, oh, bullshit. Give me the phone. I said, oh, he said, Bob, Tommy Smothers. I said, how you doing, Tom? Listen, um, my uncle is a hunchback and he's straightening up today. So I got to go. I'll call you back. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> so I hang up and, uh, and uh, she comes back in. She said, he's on the phone again. I said, hello. He said, Bob. Yeah, Tom Smothers. I said, it is you, isn't it? He said, yes. He said, I saw what you did last night, and I really liked it. Could you meet me over at CBS today at around lunch? And I'm inside. I'm going, oh, if this is real. Because I didn't care about it. Now it's like I've got it. And that's how the whole thing started. That's how I got the job. And he put me with a kid named Steve Martin who was uh, working at Knott's Berry Farm. And that's how the whole thing started. It was unbelievable. Without Tom Smothers, none of us have a career. And it was such a gutsy thing to do. I've heard you say he gave kids a chance, young people who hadn't done anything. He was unbelievable. He was one of a kind. And this was his career. And we had done so well. We had wound up beating Bonanza in the ratings. They had already picked us up. For 26 more. And then the president cancels us. Who else was in that writer's uh, room, uh, Bob? It was you, Steve Martin, Mason Steve Williams. Martin, yeah, Rob Reiner, yeah. Um, Carl Gottlieb. Right, Carl um, Gottlieb. Lorenzo Music. Yeah, Lorenzo Music, yeah, right. yeah. Just, Good people. Oh, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was beyond an experience, beyond fun, beyond anything you could imagine because eventually you could not get in to see our show. It's a stupid television show. You couldn't get in to see it because it was so, it was so hot with young people and we'd get everybody. I mean, uh, as guests, uh, it was, it was just, uh, it, it was one, you know, I can't even thank him enough ever. Now I, I heard like back then the Smothers brothers, they were the new act in town and, but they were still all the old guys was still working. So you would have a lot of the old guys on, and that would make the audience accept the Smothers Brothers more. You know, that, that's exactly correct. Except after a while, we didn't have as many of the old guys. And it was uh, all new. It was, it was, and you know, we'd get a beetle on the show. You couldn't get a beetle in those days. I mean, uh, <laughs> It was, it was, and, and if we had been able to go on the next year, it would have been, it really would have been something. It's an interesting but, journey because it sort of started as a typical variety show. And then about nine, 10 episodes into it, it starts to, it starts to take a, a little bit more of a political turn and, well, and, and become we a little were, bit. We were really hammering the Vietnam war. Yeah. That's what we did. And, and it turns out uh, we were right. I mean, it was. I, I, I lost two friends there. They died. I mean, it's just, 
you can't imagine dying for nothing, but that's what it amounted to. That was a, uh, that was a tough time. And, and you know, at, at that time, you had, you had the, the hippie cult going on in San Francisco. And then what stopped everything was the Manson murders in Los Angeles. That just stopped everything. Tommy had a lot of guts because I mean the show was successful and he could have stayed he could have stayed with a formula and not you know was, not tweak the was, network but he believed it he had something he, he believed in he was one of a kind he was one of a kind not just guts but he, well he did he just had a lot of a lot of belief a lot of guts and, and, and we all started out on the Glenn Campbell summer show <laughs> right and and our first show uh, was shown to the head of CBS in in Los Angeles. And he wrote a letter that you cannot believe to Tommy beating him up saying, how can you put your hands in the, in the, in the, put your show in the hands of children. This is the worst constructed, worst written, worst, but he said, we saw, and then the show went on the air, got unbelievable reviews, unbelievable ratings. And he came in and apologized this guy came in and apologized to us stupid kids. <laughs> it was like and we were picking our nose and trying to get our underpants out of our ass, and he's going, "I'm gentlemen, I'm sorry." It was, it was, it was you know, it's wild. It was wild. Great guests who I got. I worked a lot with Richard Pryor and name it. Here's a question of a story I heard, and I'd like to know if you know anything of. I heard that. A few years ago, Bill Cosby punched out Tommy Smothers. Many years ago. Yes. It was when we were doing the show. And Tommy said a few things, and it was at the Playboy Club. Incidentally, this is an announcement. Hugh Efter is finally old enough to wear a robe. Great. <laughs> you know what else is a great story? Jaja is still alive. They say because yeah, they say because her the guy she lives with, Count von Cockfuck, um, cannot cannot stay in the house if she dies. So she's now she lays on a pillow. Her legs are amputated. Half her arms are gone. She looks like second base. They should have they should have given her to Ricky Henderson when he broke the record. Finish the story with Tommy Smothers. What did he do to Bill Cosby? David Steinberg told us that story. Yeah. He said, he I said, like to hear it. <laughs> he said some uh, something that irritated Bill, which now makes you laugh because of what <laughs> Bill became. Jesus Christ, America's father, too. Could you come in here a minute, please, and take off your underpants and sit down on my face just for a minute? <laughs> we'll just try and see if this part works. <laughs> you might you might have this part in the Brady Bunch just sit on my face please and now rock back and forth alright alright can you hear me or are you still is, are the drugs working okay thank you very much you won't see me in the morning but when you wake up you're going to be a little sore you might have trouble walking thank you anyway he punched Tommy right in the head 
Tell Bob the thing about when you worked on the Cosby show and they told you there were certain days that he wasn't there, the reason that he oh, gave. Oh, yes. He'll find this interesting. Uh, I, I, I did an episode of the Cosby show and I was talking to like one of the writers or something and they said that Cosby had like an hour a day set aside that was to teach comedy to Asian models. Uh, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> That's the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard. If you, if you can name, and I, I can name Keith Moon before I can name an Asian funny model. Matt <laughs> Marita, who the fuck is a funny Asian model? They must have said, I don't understand what you are saying. <laughs> Sit on my face, you stupid. That's all. That's how you make people laugh. Sit on my face. I feel. I feel very drugged. I. I don't know where I am. Now that's funny. Hurry up! Hurry up! I only have forty more minutes. Teaching comedy to Asian models. That is just so funny. Thought you'd appreciate it. Oh, God. Wouldn't you love to see an Asian version of the Three Stooges? (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. God, people make up shit, don't they? But this thing, this thing was surprising about Bill. And I'm saying that seriously. Because he was, he was, God, he was, he was, you know, he made billions of dollars and and was really he was great at what he did and and real clean as a stand up and his life seemed really clean and then all this crap happens just unbelievable you just don't know i've heard that the smothers brothers don't want their shows re-aired or re-released because i think they're they're afraid it's not going to live up to the reputation that it has. Well, I, I've never heard that, but I, but, but you know something funny. I could understand it because I looked at the show that supposedly was one of the ones that got us kicked off, and if you saw it now, you wouldn't understand why. I mean, it's so mild; it really is. And, but, uh, and yet, but, yet some of it is is pretty brave. I'm watching. Uh, there's a documentary called Smothered about this the, about the whole history of the Smothers Brothers. Right, right, right. And it's kind of fascinating. And there's just to see Pete Seeger singing "Knee Deep in the Muddy." I know, and, I know, and all that brilliant, stuff. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, and then there's a uh, George Siegel comes on, and 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 Tommy and Dick do an anti what draft dodging what song. About, what about Belafonte? Don't stop the carnival. That too. Yeah, yeah that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was brilliant. Yeah. And just watching it, even now, I mean, you say the stuff. Some of the stuff is mild, but I was watching the documentary, and even by today's standards, I can't believe they got away with what they did. No, and I know in those days there were a lot of marijuana jokes, and I had never smoked marijuana, but I'm writing the jokes. I don't know why they're funny, but I'm writing food tastes good and all this shit. So finally, at a party at Tom's house. I decide to try a cigarette and I don't smoke anyway, but I inhale it and I finally say, what is the big deal? What is everyone talking? And I realize I'm talking to myself in the bathroom mirror. 
And I went down and I ate through the entire line of food. And then I came up to this girl who worked with us and I said, can I ask you a question? When are we going to finally fuck? And I am now talking to her boyfriend right into his face. And I said, that's a joke. I'm a comedy writer, my friend. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go sit on the cake. Tell, tell us how Officer Judy came to be, Bob. Uh, Officer Judy came, it started out when we had Liberace on the show, who was a great sport. And we said, ladies and gentlemen, Liberace. And he came out and we pushed out a piano that was 55 feet long. And it just pushed him right off the stage on his ass. <laughs> and then we did something else. And then he's playing the minute waltz. And I, I came down as a cop on a motorcycle and arrested him for playing too fast. And the next week, we had Judy Collins on. And Judy, you know, had a beautiful voice. And one of her songs was uh, Broken Windows and Empty Hallways. And it was so beautiful. Oh, the Randy Newman song, yeah. I think it's yeah, going so to rain today. I think it's going to rain today. And so Tommy said, ladies, she had already done both uh, a song earlier. Once again, Judy. And the curtains open, and there I am on my motorbike lip-syncing her song. <laughs> And I finish, and Dick says to Tom, what was that? He said, what? What? He said, what was that guy doing, lip-syncing Judy Guy? Oh, he said, it's nothing. I, I was speeding coming over here, and I got a ticket. <laughs> and he said, if you let me on your show, I won't give you the ticket. And he said, and you did that? And then I walked up and blocked the both of them on camera and said, Tom, he said, what? I said, how did I do? He said, you were great, Officer Judy. And that's how it started. And then what that character became was an out for any piece we didn't have an ending for. People thought we were brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And But it was it was a fun character. And Frank and I were talking that you produced uh, or directed the uh, uh, Rich Little. Oh, the Rich. Oh, yeah. yeah, Another another nice mess. Yes. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yes, yes. He was great in that. Rich Little and Herb Boland. Yeah. It was Nixon and Agnew as Laurel and Hardy. Right. And pretty good Laurel and Hardy impressions, too. Really good, but released at the height of Nixon's popularity. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I find conflicting stuff about it online, Bob. Did, did the Nixon administration actually get wind of it? Yeah, and start they were some not shit? happy. Yeah, they were not happy. Surprising because Nixon had such a great sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> a feather in your cap. <laughs> What are we going to do if, if, now look, I'm not saying I'm voting for anybody, but if you hear, do you pre- become President Trump? What are we going to do? What would we do? Terrifying. The White House would turn into a gold cock with a, with a, with a picture of himself as the foreskin. His, his face would be the foreskin that you'd be able to open up and smoke would come out. I can't understand this. <laughs> I know. Can you and then also Hillary, who I mean, she 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 leaves the nine eleven memorial because she is sick. <laughs> yeah, and she passes out, and it turns out she has pneumonia and knew it 
So she goes and plays with her grandkids. Right. <laughs> That's a hard one to figure out. Come here, sweetie. Come here, Snooky. Come here. Let me sneeze in your mouth. Come here, baby. <laughs> what are we dealing with? And then she walks out 20 minutes later. New York is beautiful. <laughs> and there's 35 people, firemen with nets standing around her in case she goes down. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> we want to ask you about some of these variety shows, uh, Bob. About the what? Well, first of all, Pat Paulson show. What was Pat Paulson like? He was he was as sweet a human being that God ever made, ever. I just loved him. Speaking of elections, yeah. Oh, he oh, he was he, the he, first of those celebrities running for president, and, and and the one that really worked. It was a campaign. And, and Pat, what's really funny is we discovered Pat after years of failing. So he would have a rejoinder after every joke that got a laugh. In other words, he would tell, we'd write a great joke or he'd tell a great joke. The audience would go crazy and we'd go, but seriously. <laughs> but I really mean it. But he was just, he was, I loved him. He was one of a kind. He was a a great, just a, the greatest, greatest guy. And did you write those uh, David Steinberg? No. Did, oh, the sermons. No, the, no, those were David's. Yeah. Yeah, we had David on the show. Great guy. Okay, we'll bring up a name that's been brought up on this show a few times. Uh, go ahead. Billy Barty. Okay, I, I, you know, you have no idea. I mean, it sounds like I loved everyone, but uh, you have, let me tell you what he did. <laughs> let me tell you what he did. On Van Dyke and Company at the end of one of the shows, Dick is saying goodnight and it starts to rain. And Dick says, oh, I got to hurry because it's, and Billy Barty comes out as a show umpire and calls the show. Said it's not an official show. It will not air. It's too, it's too. I come out as a show manager, and I get into an argument with Billy. Now Billy's not that tall, and I'm six four, and we're screaming at each other, and he's yelling at my balls, and, and he throws Dick and I out of the show. We're out of the show now. The, the ending of the show is water pouring on Billy, and the credits are rolling. The asshole who decided to fix the water attached the hose to the hot nozzle. <laughs> so Billy Barty is getting a steam bath. It's 180 degrees, but he will not leave the stage. That's what a trooper that guy was. <laughs> That's good. And... A name that, that also popped up on this show. Wait a minute. Uh, I'm, okay, I'm gonna hold your thoughts. I'm going to tell you a great Okay. <laughs> I had a special effects guy in Canada that wore a white doctor smock and was the worst special effects person I'd ever seen. But we had to use some people because... So I'm doing a piece where uh, I'm getting my enough land to complete my golf course. I only had 17 holes on the Super Dave golf course. Finally got enough land to have the 18th hole. It was a par three. I shoot. I'm now I'm getting ready to putt. And I say to Fuji, um, why, why was it so difficult to get this land? He said, sacred Indian burial ground. 
And he was one of the uh, Asian men that caused me taught to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, I said, and they don't mind? He, he said, no, and I get an arrow in the ass. <laughs> and you pan up, and there's an Indian on horseback with a with a, a golf bag and arrows and a bow in it. <laughs> so I say to the special effects guy, how are we going to do this? Because I know I'm going to get hurt. I'm positive. <laughs> he said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a special car in front of the styrofoam and put it in your pants in the back. That will take the brunt. I am going to slingshot a razor arrow on a nylon uh, a line, and it'll go into that safety uh, thing there, and when you feel it, you fall over. And I say to myself, how far is this going to go into my ass? <laughs> so now we're ready to do it. I hear the arrow coming on the line right through the guard into my ass. And I am telling you, you have never had a pain like that. This was a razor arrow into my ass. I'm doing comedy. So before I fall down, because I'm not doing it again, I look over at the special effects guy and he gives me a two hands up. You would have flew years of you know. What are you going to do? It didn't work. All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were going to ask me something. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, Joey Heatherton. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I'll tell you two Joey stories. First of all, in her day, there was never a human being on this planet that was cuter. Never. There was nothing you, you would not say, God, if I could get that little toe on the left foot straightened out, boom. No, <laughs> nothing, nothing. Teeth, tongue, thing, boom, bang. So we sit down and I said, Joey, we're doing four summer shows. We don't have a lot of money. You're going to have to go out and try to help us with guests. She said, we're booked. Uh, I said, we are? She said, yes. Sinatra will do the first show. Bing Crosby will do the second. Dean Martin will do the third. And Mel Torme will do the fourth. I said, what? What? How do you know? Promised. My first guest was Gary Berghoff. And I, and I had to give him a song. I had to give him a song. I had to give him a song. Uh, 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 That's what y'all tell you another one. We're rehearsing, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So she's got a low-cut dress, and she's singing and twirling, and as she twirls, I see she isn't wearing underwear. (laughs) So it's Hello, Dolly, and I call up to the booth. I said, we got to stop for a minute, please. And I go in. I said, Joey, you're not wearing underwear. I know. I said, why? <laughs> Makes my legs look longer. <laughs> I said, yes, it does. Yes, it does. I said, I could see all the way up to your father, who's the co-host. <laughs> anyway, that was fun. She was just, God, was she attractive. And we did Lola Falana. Adorable. Yeah, tell us yeah. about Lola. <laughs> just fabulous. Woof. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, you know, but Lola was hip and Lola, she could dance and sing and she was and we had that we had Cosby on that show. Oh yeah. And thank God I had no uh, Asian models around to the comics. <laughs> <laughs> Who else you got on that list, Gil? Okay. <laughs> oh, well, of course, a uh, favorite of ours, Henny Youngman. Yes. Yes, Henny was Henny was hysterical, but 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 not not totally easy to Oh, here's well, no. Okay, I'll go on. <laughs> not I mean, Here's a great story. On the Smothers, we're doing a Robin Hood sketch, and Sid Caesar's the guest. One of the funniest men in the history of the planet. And Sid says, we gave him a rubber axe. He said, I need a real one. I said, I said no. no. I said, I'll tell you why no, because we need you to do two other sketches after this, and if I give you a real axe, there's going to be a problem. You're going to cut someone's head off. Or you're going to hurt yourself or something. So we can't do it. I won't do the sketch. Get him an axe. <laughs> 20 minutes later, I'm driving. He's in the back seat with an axe embedded in his thigh. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. We go into the emergency hospital. He's dressed like Lord uh, Little uh, John the Cockfuck. And, and he's got an axe embedded in his thigh. <laughs> Where was I? I got off the subject. <laughs> Where was I? Well, I was Henny Youngman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Henny was always, you know, he was fabulous. He was funny, but there was, it was hard. It was hard to, to get Henny to do other things rather than just the jokes. Look at him. He's taking notes. <laughs> Frank is now taking notes like he's, like he's surprised. <laughs> Look at him, look at him. You can't see him. But he went over and he wrote down. And he didn't like to take notes. Oh, God. That surprises me. I must ask Henny if he's still alive, if he knew Keith Moon. Victor Borg. Victor Borg? Yeah. Yes. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But we maybe worked with him once, but, you know, he did what he did. He was brilliant. Who else you got on there? Okay, Andy Williams. Oh, loved him. Loved him. Did his special. Did I mean, he was great. He was great. Great entertainer. And, oh, Sonny Glenn Bono. Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell. Oh, Glenn Campbell. How about Glenn Campbell? He's on the list. Yeah. Brilliant. He, he was the great. You could tell him two minutes before air, change the opening song. Done. He didn't care. He didn't. He was the most brilliant guitar singer. Brilliant, great comic. He was. He was fantastic. Greatest. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And you must have worked with George Burns and Jack Benny. Yes. You know what's funny about that? They were old then, <laughs> and they weren't even that old. Right in the sixties. Yeah. <laughs> they were just old, and they were. You know, this, they're too brilliant to even talk about. What do you remember? You mentioned Sonny Bono. Yeah. Yes. Who, and uh, I did Sonny and Cher, and and he was. I loved him. I just loved him. He was just so fabulous, honestly. And here's here's a funny thing. His his uh, when he broke up with Cher, which was a crazy mistake. They were so hot. Yeah. So great. 
If you're having problems, fake it. You know, they're picking up chastity. He's going to have a cock one day. Fake it. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? So they decide to split. Sonny, Sonny's manager comes to me and says, Sonny's going to open in Vegas. I said, he is? He says, yes. He said, and you're the only one he trusts. Will you come and see his act? So I come, and it's an empty room, like this is, and he does his act. And he finishes, and his manager says to me, what'd you think? I said, here's my advice. Not only don't open, don't drive down Las Vegas Boulevard, don't drive toward Nevada, don't even think about that area of the country. <laughs> Stay away from ever going on a stage by yourself. I went on and on and on. And his manager said, what the fuck does he know? <laughs> After getting me there. But Sonny and I remained close till he had that horrible ending. But he wound up being mayor of Palm Springs and... He was he was he was fabulous. I love that repertory company too, the Ted Ziegler and, and Murray Langston yeah, 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 and Freeman yeah, King yeah. and all those guys, Billy Van. Boy, how do you know those people? I'm I'm all, I'm old enough to remember all of them, Bob. No, you don't remember them. Sure. You got them right in front of your face. No, no, no you don't. You don't know names like that. Sure, I do. <laughs> no, you. That's don't. what we do on this show. <laughs> Listen, if you were on a dock and and I was Judge Judy, your ass would be thrown through that window right now. <laughs> I could pick, I could pick Freeman King out of a crowd. It's raining shit all over your shirt. <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, well, who couldn't pick Freeman King out of a crowd? <laughs> That's the one, officer. Are you sure? Well, look like him. Oh God. Now, what was your opinion on Cher? Brilliant. Brilliant. Just, you know, phenomenal. She and and the and the and the the people loved the fact that they were married, and she just shit all over him, and he was really cute. You know, I mean, it was it was it was it was a a shame. It's like the Smothers Brothers. The Smothers Brothers owned the Glenn Campbell Show and an hour summer replacement. The Smothers Brothers show and an hour summer replacement. That's four hours on network. That's a lot of money one day that the Nixon took away from him. And, and Sonny and Cher just threw millions. I mean, not that they need it, but it was stupid. So after they split, you went and did the Sonny comedy review. Yes. You stayed with Sonny. Yes. And I'm still waiting for the review. <laughs> I remember that. She stayed with CBS and he went to ABC. Why don't you shut the fuck up? Why don't you just stop talking about the Sunny Comedy Review? It's not my fault. It's a bad memory? Yeah. No, this wasn't that great, okay? It wasn't my fault, all right? What do you remember about Jesus doing the Joey Christ, Bishop show at 69? I didn't do it, but uh, you, you know what I had the, the, the... I got to do Carson, I don't know how many times... You know what that was like in those days to do Johnny Carson? Fuck. <laughs> How did you come? Uh, here's, listen to this. Listen to this. <laughs> I'm taking a break and I'm playing golf. And I had a secretary that was a dingbat. 
a fucking dingbat. And she calls me up. Hi. I said, hi. I, I said, any messages? The Tonight Show called. And what, what did they want? Johnny wanted to know if you could do it tonight. And what did you say? No. <laughs> I said, here, listen, before I completely destroy my golf clothes, I want to know that you said what I think you said. You said no. Yes, I knew you didn't, couldn't rush and you're playing golf and you couldn't rush over there and do it. I said, I said Johnny Carson. <laughs> Johnny Carson, the Tonight Show asked if I could do the show. Yes. <laughs> and you said no. Yes. What was I supposed to say? <laughs> maybe I'll ask him. Maybe I'll, maybe, yes, he can. Yes. <laughs> He's in a coma. He's in a coma, but he can do it. <laughs> oh, it was the greatest. Carson was the greatest. And, and you know what else? When I was really young, I co-hosted Steve Allen's television show and radio show. He was like a second father to me. I loved him. I'll tell you a great story, okay? Uh, Brandon Tartikoff, who was head of NBC, was coming over to do the Steve Allen radio show. And Steve had horrible furniture in his studio, like this place. And... <laughs> So Jane decides to get beacons and bring furniture over from the house. And she is rearranging this place, and we're about 20 minutes from air. She's in her nightgown. Someone says, Brandon's here. She goes into a closet, slams the door, and was there for two hours while we did the show. And at every break, I would walk by the closet and say, is anybody thirsty? <laughs> Would someone like a little nosh, a little something, a bagel or something? Could you use a cup of coffee, anybody? And then I put my mouth really close to the closet and say, how is it in there? Is it hot? <laughs> it's the greatest. The greatest life a person could ever live. You know, it's just the greatest. <laughs> We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. You got a Mike Douglas story or two, Bob. I have a Mike Douglas with, with, um, tell me who again. Uh, you know. There was the one where, with Peter Marshall showing up and, uh. Oh, this was not, this was, this was so great. <laughs> Mike Douglas says, I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> His, 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 his co-host for the week was Sly of Sly and the Family Stone, okay? And Sly was stoned out of his mind. And so uh, he comes out and he says, we got a great show, we got this, we got this, we got this, and we got the great Sly Stallone. Are you happy? Are you, you're getting married this week, I understand. Yeah, we're going to do... Uh, Two concerts and a, and, a, and, a, and a some shindig and I don't know your... No, but what about your wedding? Uh, well, that, I don't know if we're going with Friday night or we're going to play Friday night. Or, okay, let's go to commercial. <laughs> and sit down. <laughs> he said, my first guest is the great host of Hollywood Squares, Peter Marshall. Peter, come on out here. Peter comes out. Great guy. Sits down. He says, 
I understand you're taking Hollywood Squares to Vegas. He said, yes. He said, is it going to be the same show or are you going to do some shenanigans? He says, no. When you got a hit, you keep it there and you call a spade a spade. <laughs> and Sly, Sly turns to Peter Marshall and says, this is on television. I'm going to get you. <laughs> and they go to commercial. They go to commercial. They come back. Sly is still staring at Peter. <laughs> and and Mike Douglas says, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce this man because you can't say this about many people or about anyone. He's the star of Ringling Brothers Circus. He is known as the smallest man in the world, Mishu the Midget. Mishu comes out, and he is the smallest man in the world. And they, they lift him up and put him in the chair, and now all you see are the bottom of his feet with him sitting there. And, and Mike Douglas was sly, still staring at Peter. He says, Mishu, what, when did you first start with a circus? He says, Brotik. He said, when did you get started with the circus? He says, what? what? Bricket. Does he speak English? Mike Douglas says. <laughs> oh, okay. Wouldn't you ask that before you brought him out? <laughs> yeah. So they, now they bring him out and the show, the panel, is Sly staring at Peter, Misha the Midget, and an interpreter. Interpreting for Misha the Midget. That was the show. <laughs> And then another time I came on with, who was it again? I forget. God damn it. It was a famous actress. And I came out and said that, did I ever tell you the time I came out? I'm boring the shit out of you now. No, tell us this way. No, I just came out and said that she gave me my start in the business. Just to confuse her. (laughs) And she said, I remember. (laughs) So the whole thing was done. I didn't know what to say. Was it Martha Ray? Yes, it was Martha Ray. I remember, she said. I remember you. I said, oh, okay. Well, I can't thank you enough for me. But but what was I going to say now? I had a good story and I forgot it. Oh, did did you ever hear about the time... Steve went to fill in for Dick Cabot. He fills in for Dick Cabot. I come out as Gil Drabowski, the head of the Polish Anti-Defamation League. <laughs> and I'm suing the networks for telling uh, Polish jokes and artificially sweetening them. There was a time... <laughs> there was a time in television you couldn't tell Polish jokes. You remember that? Yes. Yes, okay. So, And Steve says, well, do you have an example? And I said, yes, but I cannot name the network. I said, Johnny turned to Ed. Now the audience goes up. <laughs> and I stare at him. I said, how did the Pollock get 500 holes in his face? Learn to eat with a fork. <laughs> now, now Steve is dying because he's dying at me doing it. And he hasn't heard any of the jokes. And why does a Pollock carry shit around his wallet for identification? And I go, oh, so... Why did it take 500 Pollocks to build a house? One to hold a hammer, 499 to turn the house. <laughs> so I get up and I said, let me tell you something. I thought you were the one host who had an ounce of intelligence. 
but you're just like all the rest. I'm sorry I did this show. You will have a lawsuit coming. He said, wait a minute. It's not the Polish part of the joke that's funny. Is there an Italian here? Guy stands up in the band. Why did it take 500 Italians to paint a house? He said, one Italian to hold the brush and 499 Polacks to turn the house. <laughs> so <laughs> I throw my shit down and the Polish people went nuts. They went nuts. It went to the Supreme Court. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> it was wild. The whole thing was wild. <laughs> hey, I, are, are we almost done? Is that what you're saying? We can keep going. There's, there's a Mike Douglas story about Planet of the Apes. Well, he opens with a monkey, Planet of the Apes. <laughs> and he's promoting the movie, and he's got an ape out there, and he's holding the ape kind of by the hand, and the ape says, fuck you, and leaves, and goes out into the audience, <laughs> and is now swinging on the wires and going fucking bird shit. And they had to blow a dart in him in the newsroom. <laughs> And you should have seen Mike Douglas's face. Oh, God. It was just unbelievable. What do you got, Gil? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Super Dave. Uh, yes. Yeah, For a minute. Yeah. How, did, how did you develop that? Where the- well, I, I did it first on Van Dyke and Company, just as a break in the show. And I went to Magic Mountain. And I was a daredevil. And I was going to do something never before done. I was going to ride the new roller coaster without being belted in. And in the cars were nuns and kids and everything. And, and we'd do it and come around, and I fainted. And everyone else had me the time of their fucking life. So that's the way it started. And then it went on from there. The great thing is I was able to take the character on all the talk shows, and I showed clips from my show, which was on Showtime, and... It was like I did the clips for the Tonight Show. You know, it was it was fun. There's that. Of course, it's got to be everybody's favorite. The piano on top of the. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was so great. The, the, what made that so much fun was when we sh- when we shot it, we had six cameras for the endings of the joke, and we could see it with our eye that it was perfect. You know, you don't know until you sure. do it. But uh, that was, and then I had another guy. I was sitting in a chair in front of a $25,000 glass ball wall and a big, huge iron ball was going to come in and I was blindfolded. And at the last minute, I was going to dive out of the way because I could feel the weight, the smell the ball, all this shit. So here comes the guy with the iron ball, gets out of his truck and he's got I love pussy on his shirt. (laughs) On his T-shirt. <laughs> so he says to me, where do you want me to hit it? I said, just just hit it. Right knee, left knee, nostril. What do you want? I said, hit it, hit it right in my face then. It's done. Ball comes in, misses me totally, and knocks the wall down, <laughs> which meant another $25,000 to build another wall and another day of shooting. Oh, shit. <laughs> And so you're screaming at a guy with I love pussy on his, on his shirt. I, I love the guillotine gag, too. The one on Bizarre. There were so many good ones. Wait, wait, which was it? One of your specials when you did the steel drum? When you did Stump the Band? Yeah, no, that was my series. Oh, that was a series. I love that yeah. gag, too. Yeah, that was great. 
Oh, there's a question being yeah, asked. There's a question yeah. here from about, uh, yeah, Paul Rayburn wants to know about why Marty Funkhauser. On, why are we on so long? Is that what he said? Is no, that what he no, just said? No, no, he says, well, he says ask about Funkhauser. We're going to wrap up oh, in a minute. Funkhauser. We're going to wrap up in a minute. Don't worry. Oh, what is that? He wants to know about Funkhauser. On Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, it's the most fun. It's the most fun because it's all ad lib. So you come to the studio and you see what you're going to do as far as what you're going to try to get across in the scene. And then everything is ad lib. So you're, uh, I'm looking and let me tell you what I just saw, which was so great. I can see these two guys from where I'm doing the show and Gilbert just yawned. <laughs> he yawned and put his hand over oh his mouth while I was explaining and I saw uh, Frank take some toilet paper and wipe his ass. They are so bored with me. Oh, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy wants to know about Marty Funkhouse. Okay, go ahead. Hello, yes. No, I'm still on. The cocksucker won't get off. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Jesus Christ, we got a podcast. Who the fuck is why listening to this anyway? Okay. Is Curb coming back, Bob? Yes. Good. Yes. Do you want to hear the greatest joke of all time? Sure. Okay. Well, I'm telling Absolutely. This to you, Gilbert. But you, I'm sure I told it on Seinfeld. You want to hear it? It's very dirty, yes. but it's. Yes, fun. yes. Woman's very afraid of the size of her opening. Do you know it? I'm not sure yet. Oh, yeah, you did this one. This one was on curb, but it's good. Yeah, tell it. You know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go outside and hang myself by my nuts. (laughs) I'm going to get a a very thin wire and hang myself by my nuts. (laughs) Because you just took all the momentum away from it. Tell the joke first. You're going to make him yawn again, and then I don't know what I'm going to do. Why don't you guys have something to eat, and I'll take a break? (laughs) Why don't you go teach a Japanese woman how to fart? The Cosby callback. No, tell that joke. It's wonderful. <sighs> and you know what's great that I just realized is my manager is sitting here, and I said to him, "What? What do they pay for this?" He said, "Nothing." <laughs> and I never had that said to me before. Look at him. He's looking. I'm trying to concentrate, and this guy's looking off to the side, going, "I'll get him off. I'll get him off." We'll end with this joke. I don't want to be here either. Jesus Christ almighty, a podcast. Okay, go ahead. You want me to tell Yes, us? yes. A woman's very afraid of the size of her opening. She goes to her mother, what am I going to do? I'm so big down there. When I marry her, he's going to divorce me. She says, don't worry, sweetheart. Do what I did when I married your father. It runs in the family. Go to the market, get some raw liver, put it in there. I'll never know the difference. She does. They get married. They have eight hours of sex. She wakes up in the morning. He's gone. There's a note on her pillow. My darling Harriet, to think that I waited a year to consummate our love relationship makes my heart beat so loudly I'm surprised I didn't wake you up. The only reason I didn't wake you up, my darling, is the sun was shining through the window on your face and you were like the pot of gold at the end of my love rainbow. The only reason I'm not here now, darling, is I'm at work to make enough money to buy you a house, a picket fence, we'll have dogs and children. When the five o'clock dinner bell rings, I'll be home like the winged gossamer of love in your arms, your loving husband, Harry. P.S. Your cunt is in the sink. <laughs> That's a great joke. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> I think we're out of questions, I Bob. I think so. <laughs> well, that, that hour and 15 minutes went, what the, Jesus Went fast. <laughs> I talked for an hour and 15 minutes. You guys yawned. You kept saying, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, tell us. You know, I don't want to interrupt. Tell, but tell us we'll, about we'll, your pop before you go. Your, your dad was the, was the great Harry Einstein. Dad, yeah, and he died at a Lucille Ball Desi Arnaz roast. And uh, he just killed the audience, sat down and died at 54 at the Beverly Hilton. And it destroyed my life for a long time. And I heard about it on the radio in the morning. So, and, and, and you know, in those days, when you're 14, you none, you none of the other kids had experienced that. And especially someone famous, where it was a headline of a paper, and he was so young. And so that, that, was, that was a tough one. What a great way to end a show. <laughs> just, you know what they say, always leave them laughing. That's just a great thing. I was going to just talk about your mom and dad and a showbiz family. Why why don't we end it with uh, Bruce Jenner? I heard a story (laughs) that that I really liked because somebody said to you about your father, it goes, he said something like, well, isn't isn't it great that he died doing something he loved? And you said something to him. I, 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 I can't remember what it was, but it oh, couldn't have been very good. Okay, I, I remember, <laughs> I, I read this, that you said to him after he said your father di- died doing what he loved, that you said, what does your mother do? And he goes, she's a housewife. I did say this. Okay, go ahead, tell that. And I said, you know what, I hope she dies cooking scrambled eggs. And I hope she dies washing the dishes today. Because then she do, dies doing something she loves. And I said, what a stupid fucking thing to say. And it, was, and it was pretty close to him dying. I'll tell you something else. At the funeral, Milton Berle and George Jessel gave eulogies, and they tried to be funny. And that hurt me so much that I could never do a eulogy for a friend of mine. It was, it was almost impossible because I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe they were trying to get laughs, you know? Another great way to end the show. <laughs> I, you know, I got a fucking million of them. No, really. Let me tell you when my dog got hit by a car. It's fucking hysterical. Oh, God. All right. Well, I guess, I, I'm out of bullets. I guess off we gotta end up with a big laugh. <laughs> I heard you say about your dad. I want to say this too. I heard you say about your dad that he really was a brilliant comedian and he never threw humor brilliant, away. Brilliant. What was so great about him is I used to watch him watch other comedians, which I didn't realize I was doing, but and and watched who he laughed at. And it was interesting. It was fascinating. And he never threw away anything. Yeah. Never threw a line away. I'll give you one more story. Sure. Sure. We can't leave on that. My first meeting with Red after we agreed to do the show was at his house. <laughs> on and, and Al and I talked to him and, and we see with the monitor, he's got 700 televisions to see who's coming down. Uh, Sloppy White is coming down. <laughs> now outside, Red has... Five dogs that are half dogs, half human. 
They're the biggest fucking dogs I've ever seen. And you can't see what kind of a breed they are because they're wearing tennis shoes and they're fucking hungry. And they're all over the yard. So Red said, Sloppy, how you doing? He said, listen, I'm meeting with Blindstein here. I want you to go down the pool house. I'll meet you in a minute. He said, what about your dog? He said, how long have I known you? 50 fucking years? My dog's ever touched you? He said, no. He said, well, get the fuck to the pool house. And we watched, like on Cinerama Dome, these dogs chase Sloppy's wife <laughs> all over the yard into the pool with his clothes on. And, Red, and all Red said was, God damn, they did go after him. And then we went back to a meeting. And Sloppy's in the pool with his clothes on. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> I, all I need is one promise. Don't ever invite me back. And I'm serious about that. Please. Please, I'm fucking worn out. And, and when I'm walking down the stairs with Lee, my manager, I'm going to say again, what did I get for that seriously? And he's going to say nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Want to hear a joke? Oh, <laughs> kids, kids walking down the hallway oh, of his God. house. He's doing They're screaming in his parents' bedroom. Opens the door, there's his father dressed only in shafts. Mother's dressed in a cheerleading outfit with nothing on her, and they're going at it. He says, Daddy, what's going on? He says, just go to bed, sweetie. I'll tuck you in in 20 minutes. 20 minutes later, his father's walking down the hall. He's screaming in his kid's bedroom. He opens the door. The kid's having sex with his grandmother. He said, Billy, what the hell are you doing? He said, it's not so funny when it's your mother, is it? (laughs) 